Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Before we, we dive in, we need to work on some definitions here. We listen to this scripture with 21st century ears, and we have to listen to this scripture with 1st century ears. So, when Peter was a little boy and went to Hebrew school, he learned all of the scriptures about the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be a son of David. And what did you know about David? David was a king and a military general. And he finished cleaning out the land of Canaan that God had promised and made Israel the nation that it was supposed to be. And then he handed off the kingdom to his son Solomon, who made it even greater. When he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, he was thinking savior, liberator, redeemer of Israel, king, military leader, and hero. I want you to think of the children's story, Billy Goat's Gruff. Do you remember that? The little, the little Billy Goat was crossing over the bridge and up jumped the troll. And he said, I'm going to eat you. And he said, don't eat me. My brother is right behind me, and he's bigger and tastier than I am. And the troll said, really? He said, yes. And he let the little Billy Goat go. And then the brother came along. Who was bigger and tastier than the little tiny Billy Goat? And he said, I'm going to eat you. And he said, don't eat me. My brother is coming, and he's even bigger and tastier than I am. He said, okay, and he let him go. And then the big Billy Goat came along, and the story is... That when the troll jumped up, he started running and he bopped him with his horns and he knocked him off the bridge. That's the Messiah that Peter was looking for. They'd been conquered by the Babylonians, they'd been conquered by the Greeks, they'd been conquered by the Romans, and they wanted the Messiah to come in and, like the billy groat, push whomever off the bridge and make them the kingdom that God wanted them to be. In other words... Peter had a t-shirt on that said, when the Messiah gets here, you'll be sorry. Well, that's not the Messiah that Jesus wanted to be. That's not the Messiah he was called to be. The Messiah we understand now who laid down his life for his children so that we would have a place in heaven with God. That's the Messiah Jesus wanted to be. But it's not the Messiah Peter thought he was going to be. The other thing we need to talk about is the cross. If you read the Old Testament, there was only one way that criminals were punished, and that was by stoning. They would take them out to the edge of town, and they would throw rocks at them until they were dead, and it made a nice funeral pile. So they didn't have to even take care of the body. There was just a pile of rocks, and you were punished. It was very public, and if you saw one or two stonings, you would be reticent to break the law. Well, the Romans had the same idea, except their cross was their equivalent. And they would hang the criminal on the cross, and depending on the crime, they might leave them there literally until their bones fell off the cross. It was cruel, it was sadistic, and it was final, and it was a deterrent. You might remember, those of you of a certain age in the 90s, there was a boy named Michael Fay who got caught stealing and uh, damaging cars in Singapore. And he was, he was convicted, and the penalty for the crime in Singapore 
was that he would receive a caning on his naked bottom on a stage in front of everybody. Well, America went up in arms. You can't do this. Singapore said, it's our law. We're going to do it. And Michael Fay was caned at the age of 19. Well, why does Singapore do it that way? Well, I don't know about you, but if somebody exposed my bottom to the world and whacked me with a cane in front of everybody and I saw other people have that happen, I would be less likely to commit the crime. If you get caught shoplifting at the Echelon Mall, they take you down to the little quiet security office and they talk to you sternly and they might make you watch a video about shoplifting and then they let you go the first time. Well, what's the deterrent in that? So the Romans said, we want everybody to know that we're in charge, that we will not put up with this stuff, and if you do break the law, on the cross you go. So that when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, it had a completely different connotation. It wasn't a cross made out of gold or silver or jewels or polished mahogany. It was a cruel, crude, sadistic, final deterrent to crime. Now, you may ask yourself, well, did it work? So I went back and I looked up the crime statistics between Singapore in 1994 and America in 1994. Singapore had one-fourth the amount of crime that America had. You ready for this? America had 3,425 times more arrests for marijuana than Singapore. They had 140 times more arrests for opiates and 718 more arrests for rape. So whether or not you agree with the caning of Michael Fay or the Roman cross, it did do what it was supposed to do. So what happens for dear Peter? Remember last year, last week, Peter was at the top of his game. Jesus said, God did not reveal this to you on this rock I will build my church. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. And Peter was pretty puffed up. And then the very next verse, Peter is getting rebuked. Well, before we pick on Peter, I want you to think about something. It was holding. Okay. So, about five years ago, we were premiering an opera at the Opera of Philadelphia. It was called Cold Mountain. You might have seen the movie with Renee Zellweger, and it was a, a, an award-winning book. They decided to make an opera out of it. Now, I don't know if you know this, but operas don't have understudies. They have covers. It's the same thing, but in the opera, it's called a cover. So if I'm the lead... You'd find another tenor and you pay him a considerable amount of money to learn everything I'm learning in case something happens. So that if the lead goes down, you have the cover. At the same time, I was singing at a church in Ardmore. I was their Christian ed director and I was their tenor soloist. I, I had both jobs at the church. And I sat right behind the baritones. And the baritones who sat in front of me 
were from the Curtis Institute of Music, very talented, and one of them was named Jared Ott. And Jared Ott was the cover for the lead in Cold Mountain. About halfway through the rehearsals, the lead got violently ill and could not sing. And Jarrett, a recent graduate of Curtis Institute of Music, literally had his career launched because he became the lead in this later Pulitzer Prize winning opera. He was called up to do the role. Well, I want you to think about this before we pick on Peter, and I'm not gonna pick on Peter today. Peter represents all of us. Peter was the disciple who had the best of intentions and always stuck his foot in his mouth. And if we're honest, that's where most Christians are. We have the best of intentions and we wind up putting our foot in our mouth. So today's sermon is titled, The Role of Peter Will Be Played By. And you can put your name in there. You have been the cover for the role and now you've been called up to play the role. Well, let's learn some things from Peter. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to learn from Peter is this. You may know Jesus, but you don't know it all. I want you to hear that. You may know Jesus, but you don't know it all. Stories told of a little girl named Sally, and Sally was one of those kids who was in love with gardens and lawns, and all she wanted to do was cut the lawn. And her parents said, well, Sally, you're too young to cut the lawn. Sally said, but I want to cut the lawn. So they set an arbitrary date. Sally, when you're this age, you can cut the lawn. Sally got to be that age, and she cut it, and she edged it, and she trimmed it, and it was the most beautiful lawn on the block. And the man next door came over, and he said, Sally, I really like the way you cut the lawn. Would you like to cut mine? Sally said, yes. He said, well, how about $10? And Sally got very sad. She said, but I only have eight. <laughs> you may know Jesus, but you don't know it all. <laughs> Sally didn't know that you could get paid for cutting lawns. She thought that it was such a privilege you had to pay. Peter knew Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But he didn't know everything yet. That's why Jesus kept teaching him. If you look in the Gospel of Mark, and I, I don't think you need to do it right now, but that proclamation of Jesus is exactly the middle of the Gospel of Mark. So in essence, Jesus and the disciples climbed to that spot. That's the pinnacle. You are the Christ. And then from that point on, Jesus goes down to the cross. It was the turning point in his ministry. Peter said, well, that can't be right. Have, have you seen the, uh, the comedy skit for uh, Alexa Silver? Do you, raise your hand if you have an Alexa or a Google at your house. Anybody? Okay. Well, the skit shows people of a certain age, and they can't remember her name, and they're shouting, Andromeda, Allison. All right? And the new, the new Alexa Silver answers to any name remotely resembling... Alexa. Now, I have a friend whose son has a, a lazy L. He calls her Alexa. Alexa. And she won't answer him. He gets mad. And he, he shouts at her in the kitchen. So, 
What happens in this commercial is when the older people ask Alexa a question, like, what's the weather outside? And she answers, they go, I don't believe that. Well, that's exactly where Peter was. Jesus said, I am the Messiah, but this is the plan. And Peter said, well, that can't be right. I learned in Sunday school that you're going to be that military leader. You may know Jesus, but you don't know it all. The second thing we learned from Peter is this. The Christian life is a journey, not a destination. And we as the church really need to hear that. Most church ministries are aimed at making people making a decision for Christ. They have an altar call at the end of the service. They have a tent in front or whatever, and they want you to pray what we call the sinner's prayer. And we've, we've made a Christian. No, we haven't made a Christian. What we did was start you on the journey. It's a lifelong journey. If you ask somebody, perhaps a, a missionary from France who's retired, are you there yet? She'll say no. If you ask the pastor, are you there yet? He'll say no. If you ask anybody who's on the journey, you're not there yet until you stand in front of Jesus and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Tony Evans tells a story about his wife that when he was uh, serving a church in Texas, she audited courses at the local seminary. She took course after course, and she audited. Now, if you know about auditing, you get to go, you get to hear the lectures, but you don't have to take the test, you don't have to write the papers, and you don't get any credit. Tony says most Christians are auditing the Christian life. We're not taking the test, we're not writing the papers, but we show up on Sunday mornings and we hear the lectures and then we go home. Chuck Swindoll said that when he was a little boy, there was a cowboy, he also grew up in Texas, I believe, there was a cowboy who said, the Christian life, it's just so daily. Right? We don't think of that. We think of the church being on Sunday morning and maybe Thursday night and then going home. Jesus says it is daily. In fact, Luke says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's a journey, not a destination. Some people paint a picture of the Christian life as having no bumps, or if you're a cyclist, no hills. Right? We want a nice, flat road where everybody's happy, all of our prayers are answered, nobody gets sick, and people only die when they're 99 years old and they want to go. I don't know about you, but that's not the Christian life I have. My Christian life is filled with struggle. It's filled with suffering. And it's filled with sacrifice. The Christian life is a journey, not a destination. We have to work out our salvation. We've talked about this before in John 3.16 when he says... Whosoever believeth in Him. It doesn't mean just believe one time. It means believe every day. It's called the present active indicative. It goes on and on and on. Think of it like breathing. Everybody gets at least one breath a day, right? <gasps> That's it? You're done? No. You've got to breathe every day. The third thing, and we've covered this a couple times because it fits this passage of Scripture we've been studying is you can't earn, learn, obey, or say your way into heaven. 
It's not the shoes you wear. It's not the clothes you buy. It's not the house you live in. It's not the car, the hobbies, or the stuff. That's what Jesus says. What profiteth a man if he gets the whole world? You can have anything you want, but you lose your salvation. Malcolm Forbes, the original Forbes, was known for buying stuff. He liked antique motorcycles. He had a motorcycle team that went all around the world, and he traveled with them. And they were riding through the desert in Egypt, and he saw King Tut's tomb. And he heard of all the wonderful things that were in King Tut's tomb. And he said to one of the guys next to him, do you think when I'm gone, there'll be a monument like that for me? Malcolm Forbes is the guy who coined the phrase, the one with the most toys wins. What profiteth a man if he gained the whole world and loses immortal soul? What Jesus is talking about is sacrifice. And I, I don't know about you, but I watch some baseball. Baseball is not my favorite sport, but somebody that I love very much, it is their favorite sport. And they actually have a play called a sacrifice. If you've got a guy on second, which they call scoring position, that's only scoring position for young people who can run fast. If I'm on second base, it is not scoring position. I just want to be clear. And they need to run. The next guy up the bat will hit a long ball. He's not aiming for a home run. He wants to hit the ball far enough out that when they catch it, the guy on second can tag and get all the way around to home. He's not allowed to leave, I don't do this, until the guy catches the ball. Did you know that? Off he goes. And what does the other guy get? Out. He doesn't get to go on base. He doesn't get to score a run. It's a sacrifice. He gives up something so that the other folks can have something. Religion expects something from you. God does something for you. You can't earn, learn, obey, or say your way into heaven. The fourth thing that I want you to hear, and it's not a happy thought, is this. There will be a final countdown. Jesus says, when this is all over, I'm coming back with the angels, and there will be an accounting. The good news is, Jesus died for you, and John 1.12 says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be the sons of God. That's the good news. The bad news is this, Jesus died for you. And if you don't choose your own path, it won't mean anything. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Peter was for me what they used to call an everyman. He did and said the things that we would say and do. Jesus redirects Peter and us to core beliefs and truths. The first one is this. God's plan is best. What did Peter try to do? He tried to change God's plan. Oh, Jesus, that could never happen. No, Jesus said God's plan is best. The second thing, the second truth is this. The Christian life is a daily decision to follow Christ. You don't get a day off. Now, some of you may have heard I, I had a little adventure on Friday. I got up around 
621 and I rode my bicycle from my house to Ocean City. I told you that was my goal in the beginning of the summer and I made it. And my stalker took videos of me riding. If you go on her uh, Facebook page, there's pictures of me riding. I don't recommend the one of my leaving because my caboose looks about this big. And I had a bright yellow shirt on, which didn't help. It was not flattering. But yeah, I made it all the way down. Now, I, I worked at that. I've been working at that since May. And I'll tell you the truth. There were probably two days that I was supposed to ride that I got up and then I got back into bed. I made a decision not to go. Not the end of the world if you're a cyclist. However, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily to follow Jesus. Now, you may remember I did a children's sermon a while back where I had a folded piece of paper. It was called The Ticket to Heaven. And the story goes that two men are in line to go to heaven. And the first guy says, what's that? He says, I don't know. They gave it to me when I got here. He says, I don't have one. Do you need it to get in? And the other guy says, I don't know. Here, have a piece of mine. And I, I tore a piece of the paper off. Does this ring a bell? And he gave it to the first man. They got closer and he said, I, I'm worried. Get, give me some more of that. So he tore off another piece and he gave it to the first man. And when I opened it up, it was in the shape of a cross. Jesus is your ticket to heaven. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> I, I find this daily decision thing sort of funny. Have you seen the meme on Facebook that says, adulting is deciding what to make for dinner every night for the rest of your life until you die? It's a difficult decision. It should not be a difficult decision to wake up and follow Jesus. In the 70s, there was a popular song called Put Your Hand in the Hand. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself, and you can realize, look at others differently. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. That's what the Christian walk is. Jesus has his hand out, and he says... Put your hand in mine and walk with me. Or perhaps you realize that you're taking the class but not for credit. You're auditing the Christian life. Stop auditing and make a decision to live for Christ 24-7. If you have any personal issues, questions, challenges, or prayer requests, our deacons and our pastors would love the opportunity to pray with you. The role of Peter will be played by fill in your name. Amen.